of a comma daf lamed gimel. We are starting from two lines down in the Amid. The Gemara says, "Razvid mishmei the Rava masni laha." So let's just try to clarify what the context of the Gemara is. So yesterday we were talking about a case uh, of uh, someone who invited someone else into his store, and then the other person comes into his store, and he, as he's um, either a blacksmith or a carpenter, he injures him. And the question is the liability in terms of exile, and whether it's a gross sense of negligence that he should not only pay damages, but also pay the supplementary dal uh, tavarim. So that's what we spoke about yesterday, and we had different statements regarding that. So now the Gemara said, now the Gemara is saying in a third view here, that we're actually, the statement that we said yesterday from Rebiosu is going on this price. So what does the price say? When the Pasuk says, we're talking about someone who goes to Gullus, that the woodchopper in the forest, he's liable when this woodchip finds his friend, meaning to say that the woodchip went out and struck his friend. What does that exclude? Someone who made himself move into the path of the woodchip. He finds the woodchip. The woodchip didn't find him. He found the woodchip. So meaning to say, there's no, there's no guilt there was no responsibility that we placed on the one who was chopping the wood if the victim moved towards uh, towards the path of the projectile. So, based upon this instruction, someone threw a stone. But the victim stuck his head out and met its path and therefore was killed, Potter. The thrower doesn't go to Gullah. Because again, the Pasuk says, Umatza. Umatza means that the projectile, that this danger, item of danger, found the victim, not the other way around. So in that case, where a person stuck out his head and intercepts it and died and was killed by that way, so then the one who threw it would not go to Gullah. So Amar Biyaz Rochanina, even though we're saying Potter mi the Chai but you still have to pay all the four things if the, if, the, if the victim was injured as opposed to being killed. Meaning we should understand that this is a p'tur, yes, it's a p'tur that the Torah is saying, but it's a p'tur from Gullus. But in terms of whether or not there's a, a, a gross amount of negligence, uh, negligence here, to say that he's high, if it is, and Rashi explains, because Lamai, so you threw it into a place where people are commonly found. So even though the way that the victim actually got damaged is by moving towards it as opposed to it hitting him, but there's still a chiyah ba'ar so the Gemara says, Man, the law, So the one who taught it about this price, about the stone, certainly holds that it applies in the first price of the carpenter. Meaning, if you're going to tell me that the guy who threw the stone is very negligent, has to pay dollars for him, even though the even though he didn't know that there was someone there that he was throwing out. He was just negligent for throwing it there. And certainly the carpenter who invited someone in and was aware that the, the, the victim was there, certainly you should be very negligent and check before he left. Remember that was, that's what we came out yesterday was the case that you knew he was there, but then you kind of like just assumed he was gone and you told him to leave, but he really was still there. So certainly that's going to be more negligent. The one who taught it on the first price, he'll say only in that case you pay the dollar. And regarding this case of the stone that was intercepted by the victim, you're totally free. Why? you totally free because you know how can you tell me i'm negligent when this guy stuck his head out and he was the one who intercepted it so in this view we would say no actually wouldn't pay dollar devarm now there's a machlokas in the return doesn't mean you're positive from dollar devarm but you still have to pay the basic nezek or do we say no that the gemara's mapatalagamri means completely free of any liability even nezek and we totally pin everything on the guy who stuck his head out so at the end of the day there's machlokas if you're paying uh, damages in the case where the guy stuck his head out after you threw the stone. So certainly you were negligent, but the way that it happened here is he stuck his head out. All right, a similar case here with the carpenter. Let's say workers come into the employer's house. So that's always a very interesting question. Can you just, do you have a right 
to just walk into your boss's office, right? That's basically what we're going to be learning now. So the workers just show up in the house, and they have a valid reason why they're there. They, they want to claim their wages. But why they're on those premises, the ox that is owned by their employer gores them. Or maybe they get bitten by the dog. And one of the workers dies. Potter. The employer is Potter. Potter from what? From paying Kofer. Usually if an animal is in wood and it kills a person, so you pay Kofer. But here, the worker didn't have the right to be on the premises. So therefore... The owner doesn't have to pay over. Other people say, No, the workers have the right to enter and claim their wages. So therefore, it is incumbent upon the employer to protect them from his animals. If he didn't do it, he would pay over. So dispute. What's the case? Let's, let's, let's figure out the analysis here. If this guy is always around town, meaning he doesn't hide out, he's not a recluse, you find him all over the place, they can readily approach him elsewhere. So what's the reason for the Chachamim? Under those circumstances, certainly they have no right to come in. Just because you're asking for your wages, ask it elsewhere. And if he's found that he's only at home, he's one of those people who stay at home a lot. My time is on a comma. What's the reason for the down a comma? So they should have permission. They have a right to claim their wages. So the Gemara explains, so right in the middle. He, 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 he's often but not commonly found in the city. So you could find it but not in a common way. So they came, this is the case. The Gemara doesn't stop there. It's very interesting to me. The Gemara could have just said, sometimes you find him, sometimes you don't. No. The Gemara made more. more. We got more complexity in the Ukimta. The workers came to his house. And uh, they called out to him, and he said yes. In other words, they wanted to know, you know, can we come in? Or are you home? He said yes. in ul tamashma. So one one opinion says yes means come in. That's what he responded to. It's considered with permission that they're there, and therefore certainly yes to guard his animal. in You asked if I'm here. I'm here, but it implies stay where you are. So very interesting. The Gemara is trying to put both of these elements together. The employer is often but not commonly found in the city, and also the worker was told yes at the door. So it's very interesting. This whole yes business about what does the yes mean? Does it mean come in? Or does it mean yes? I'm home, but I'm coming. So so it seems that it's relative to the type of employer that it is. Let's say it's an employer that's commonly found in the city where the workers should expect him out of, this, out, out of the house. So then saying yes at the door certainly means stay where you are. And if it would be someone who never leaves his home and he says yes, then certainly would imply come in. It's only for someone who's in the middle, then that's where the yes is ambiguous. So the Gemara is putting both of those factors together. We think that we have a proof from the Paraisa that it's like the opinion stay where you are. If the worker comes in to claim his wages from the employer, gets hurt by the ox or the dog, the employer is not liable even though he came in with permission. So what's now the Gemara develops the proof? Because on my potter, why shouldn't you be high to pay Kofer if he entered with permission? What's the pshat? It says, So what does it mean? What the price meant that there was Rishos, it means the worker was at the door and the employer said, yes. That the permission means, I'm coming, I'm coming out to you. It doesn't mean come inside right here and uh, you don't pay Kofar. And the pshat is with permission means that the worker thinks that he has permission to enter. That's the point that we're saying. So that's a proof that a lot of times when the, when the worker thinks he has permission to enter, but he's not actually, so then uh, the, 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 the employer is going to be potter. All right. So the mission of what happens if two oxen they get in a fight one with another. And just to clarify, it's not like one was the clear attacker. It's not like one was just in defense. Hey, two oxen got in a fight, and they're both tamin. So acts of Karen over here. So while is that Karen pays chazin ezek, so mishamad moser chazin ezek. They pay whatever the excess is, the half damages, meaning you evaluate that damage to both oxen. So if they're equal in values, and then obviously what happens is it just cancels out. No one pays anything. But if the damage of one is more than the other. So then you're going to pay half of the difference. That's the, the basic idea here. Okay. Continues the Mishnah. 
that this is true from Wadden, you pay the, the difference in, in full damages. So, so just to give like, I guess, examples here, if you have um, one, one animal that got 40 zoos worth of damage and another one got 100 zoos worth of damage, so that's 60, that's 60, da- 60 amount that's different in the discrepancy of the damages. So if it would be a, a muad, so you would pay the full 60. But if it would be two tamen where that happened to, then you would only pay uh, 30. Okay, echad tam echad muad. What if one animal was tam and the other was muad? So then it depends. Muad batam, if the point was that the muad did more damage than the tam did to the muad. So now the muad owner is paying, so the mishabim wasn't as a So he pays the difference in full damages. Whereas tam muad, if the tam did more damage to the muad one, then mishabim was a chatzinesik. So he's paying for the excess only in half damages. You could have the same thing if two human beings get in a fight with one another. So they each do damage to each other. So what's the halacha? So again, if it's perfectly the same amount, so then it will cancel out. But if one inflicted more damage than the other, so Mishaman by most are Nezek Shalom, you pay for the excess for the excess in full damages. What if a, a person and a mood animal got in a fight, right? So the, the, the mood ox and the person were fighting with one another. So if the person did more damage to the mood or if the muad did more damage to the person, whichever way. So here it's two people, two parties who pay Nezek Shalom, Misham Moser, Nezek Shalom. But what about Adam Bitam Atam Adam? What if a person and a Tom animal injure one another? So the damage done by the Tom, by the person to the Tom was greater, or if the damage by the Tom, by the Tom to the person was greater. So it depends. Adam Bitam, Misham Moser, Nezek Shalom. If the person did more damage to the animal, so the person pays for the excess and full damages. Whereas Tom Adam, if the damage that was done by the Tom to the person was greater, so then the owner will be paying for the excess only in half damages. This is exactly like the Mishnah before with Muad to a Tam and Tam to a Muad. It's just here putting it over to a person. Why is it so important to put it over to a person? Rabbi Kiva Omer. To get Rabbi Kiva's opinion. Rabbi Kiva's opinion, very interesting, is that a Tam, yes, it's true, it pays half damages, but only half damages when it injures another animal. But when a Tam injures a person, Rabbi Akiva Shita is, we're going to see what his source is, that uh, the owner pays Nezek Shalom. Even though it's a Tom, when it injures a person, you pay Nezek Shalom. So therefore, in his view, it won't make a difference whether the Tom inflicting more damage in the person or the person inflicting more damage in the Tom. Either way, whatever party has the access, it's going to be paying in full damages. Now the Gemara is just going to develop that point of contention about whether a Tom injures a person if you pay Chatzin Nezek or Nezek Shalom. Tanar says in a price, so this is... Um, it, it, it's at the, 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 the after it talks about the whole parsha of of, uh, of what an ox will do, how you pay chetzi nezek, but if it's more than three times and you pay nezek shalim, and then you talk about in kofer yushasa love, the pasuk says where where it kills a person, what happens, and then the very end after all that, when it when it boy when it gores a boy or a girl, it's the same judgment. So what do we mean to say? So it's what, what are we comparing? It's the same judgment. So we're saying, just as the law is for an ox that damages an ox, so too is the law for an ox that damages a, uh, a person. So that's that's the drasha. So the Tanakhama says it's exactly the same. So that's Mamash what the Pasuk is saying. So the same way, if it's time, it injures an ox, you pay half that. Like, that's what the Pasuk is So too, if it courts a person, it's the same same Torah that if it's time, it pays Chetzinazek. According to this means, with the second one, but not with the first one. Meaning, literally the bottom one. But the point is, is that 
or it was or, or way back in the parsha that it mentioned Tom, and the second halacha mentioned Muad. So when it says Kamishpat and if it gores a person, then like this law should do, it's saying like the most recent law that it discussed. The most recent law that it discussed was the dinner paying Nezik Shalom when it was a Muad. So according to Rabbi Akiva, what it's saying is is that when it gores a person, it's Kamishpat It's always like the law of the Muad goring an ox. So just when the Muad gores an ox, it's Nezik Shalom, Kamishpat when it, when even when a tam gores a person, it's always nezek shalat. Yachol shaman aliyah. Remember, we know another difference between between tam and muad is that tam you only collect from the body of the attacking animal. You can't you can't collect beyond that. And and whereas aliyah, whereas uh, muad you collect from anything. So you might think that since we're saying tam that injures a person pays nezek shalom, you might think it should be in aliyah as well. Tam alomar yehaselo should be done to it. Migufa mishalom only to the body of the animal mishalom aliyah. So it's like a compromised view, Rabbi Akiva. Tam shachav of Adam pays nezek shalom, but only migufo. For Rabbanon zel lamali, according to Rabbanon, why does the Torah say this law? In other words, if it's if it's, if it's not only saying the law of nezek shalom, according to Rabbanon, why is it saying this? The poshmer of is coming to say that the animal doesn't pay dalat devar. It's coming to say if an animal injures a person, you only have the halacha of paying injuries, but you don't pay the extra supplements. Rabbi Akiva, the poshmer of the Torah, how does he know? When the Torah talks about dalat devar, it says if a man puts a blemish in his friend, so, not if an ox puts a blemish in his friend. For Rabbanon, why didn't they say that that source was good enough? I would say you're only potted from pain. Because that Pasuk itself is really talking about paying for pain. But for paying for the doctor bills or paying for unemployment, maybe you should pay. No, only We're coming out, everybody agrees that when an ox injures a person, you don't pay anything beyond Nezek. That's for sure. But the question is, if a Tam Shachavavadim, do you pay Chetzi Nezek? That's the view of the Rabbanon. Rabbi Akiva Shita is that it's Nezek Shalim, but even Rabbi Akiva agrees. It's Nezek Shalem Mi Gufa. Okay, the Mishnah continues now with the discussion of an ox um, that's goring when it's a tam. If an ox that's worth one mana, which is 100 zuz, gores an ox that's worth 200 zuz. The carcass is worthless. So what does that mean? It's done one, therefore this ox that's worth 100 has inflicted 200 zuz of damage. Tam pays chetzi nezek. So it's exactly its value. Pays chetzi nezek migufo says the mission of notos ashar. The damaged party takes the live ox because the value is equal to half of the damage. Now lemaisa. What's what's fascinating here is the language of the mission. The language of the mission implies that you cannot pay it off. You can't give cash of hundred zuz and say, "Let me keep my ox." Uh, here I'm paying you off. The language of the mission implies no tosashar that the nizik has the right to take migufo means not just the value of the attacking ox, but it has the right to take the ox itself. You can't pay him off. So right away the gemara says, "Masisimani, who is the mission?" And now we're going to get into a tremendous sugya. Very interesting points about what is the gather that if a tom makes damage, you collect half damages from it. Does it mean just a value thing or does it mean you collect it in the ox itself? Our mission implies that you're collecting the ox itself. The live ox is assessed in court, meaning it's, it has a, there's an appraisal that it's made in its value, and then the owner pays the damaged party in cash. Meaning, when we say you pay me gufo, that's just trying to figure out how much money you owe. It doesn't mean you own the ox. That the ox is automatically transferred over into the possession of the nizik. And our mission sounds like Rabbi Akiva. The word is when you're a nizik, if an ox gored your ox, so you automatically become the owner of the goring ox. But Michael what's the root of the issue? Rabbi Shmuel says the nizik is just like a balchov, it's just like a creditor. He has a claim for money, he doesn't have a claim on the ox itself. Rabbi Akiva, they can become partners in the ox. When you have half damages, 
The point is, you have an ownership, you have a stake now in my ox itself. They're arguing about this pasuk. It says, They sell the live ox and they divide the money. So the pasuk is talking about where the chetzin has like is about half the value of it. So it says they sell the live ox to divide the money to divide the money. So who's selling the live ox? Rabbi Shmuel, the pasuk is referring to the court until the court do so, uh, goes ahead to sell it to get the money out. So then it remains the original owner's property. According to other Rabbi Shmuel is saying that the Torah is talking about if the person has no other asset to pay. So then Basin will make sure that a sale is made from the shah in order to collect the cash. But until the court would sell it, of course it belongs to the nizik. It doesn't automatically become transferred to the property of the Mazik, Rabbi Kiva, to the, of the Nizik. Rabbi Kiva, Nizik, Mazik, Mazik, the Torah is telling the Nizik and the Mazik together to sell the ox, meaning that automatically they are partners in this ox. My Benayah, what is the practical difference between them? So it's interesting. Tell us why. What do you mean? What's the difference? The difference between between them is whether you can pay cash or if you have to let the nizik take the live ox. But the Gemara wants to know even other differences. The difference will be if the nizik consecrates it to the base hamikdash. According to Rabbi Shmuel, it's not consecrated because the nizik doesn't own it. Right? He doesn't own it. He just has he just has a right to cash. Whereas according to Rabbi Shmuel, it's consecrated because he holds that automatic. According to Rabbi Akiva. According to Rabbi Akiva, it would become a hooktash because he holds that the nizik automatically owns a part of the ox. Says the Gemara, Now we get some lumdash points here. Like Rabbi Yishmael helps. Remember, according to Rabbi Yishmael, the nizik doesn't own the ox. Right? He doesn't own the ox. He just has a right, like a, it's like a lien on the ox to get cash out. That's basically what it is. So what would it be, according to Rabbi Yishmael, if the mazik goes ahead and sells his ox? Do I see? Since Rabbi Yishmael says it's only considered like a creditor, he has a claim against him only for money. So macher. So if the if the damager sells it, it's sold because all, all you have is a right to my cash, but the ox itself is mine. O Dilma, or perhaps top of the base. Given the Mashavala the Nizak since the ox has a lien to the damaged party, so the Mazik doesn't have the power to sell it. Meaning perhaps the fact that there's a lien that you should be able to get his cash based upon the value of here of the ox. So it's not within the rights of the Mazik to sell it and undermine his lien. So again, according to Rabbi Akiva, of course he, the Mazik can't sell it. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to the Nizik. But like the Rabbi, Rabbi Yishmael, the Gemara is a question. It's not sold. It is sold. means it's sold, but the damager goes to the buyer and collects it. Meaning the lien exists. It's not the fact, and we're not going to say that the sale is not valid at all. There's a validation to the sale. But the point is that the Nizik goes and then exercises his lien, he goes and takes it away from the one that was sold to. So if you could just go take it away from the buyer, so in what respect is it sold? If you're going to say it, it takes away the lien, so very good, that's what it's sold. But if you're saying it doesn't take away the lien, and the nizik just goes, and he could collect it from the buyer, so in what way is it sold? For plowing, meaning to say, if, it, if the buyer plowed with it before collection, he doesn't have to pay the damaged party for the use of the ox. That's the point. According to Rebbe Akiva, it's not sold, it doesn't belong to the mazik. It belongs to the mizik. So it sounds like, according to Rabbi Kiva, if the Mazik attempted to sell it, so then the buyer would actually have to owe to the Nizik the value that he used his ox for plowing. According to Rabbi Shmuel, it's not like that. It's just like a lien that he has, and therefore he wouldn't have to pay him back for the value of the, of the plow. Says the Gemara, Shmamina, is this a general law for all creditors? Shmamina, lava, let's say someone borrows money. And then he sells metal, and he sells movable properties and Kovalam, and will collect. What we're saying is normally we say 
that a lien on on metallic isn't strong. You can collect it from the creditor, from the from the lender, and the borrower himself, but you cannot collect it from uh, people that he sold it to. So an ox is movable property. So the gemara is really asking Akasha, why is the nizik able to take it away from the buyer? Says the gemara shani also is different in the case of an ox that cores. The command also apotiki It's as if he made the ox into an apotiki. An apotiki is a case. It's a property that was specifically designated by the debtor to collect if he wouldn't be able to pay. Meaning to say, there's lien and there's specific lien. Lien is just a concept that, okay, general, if you don't have what to pay, where are you going to collect from? So real estate has a starker lien. Removables do not. If I sell my removables, you can't collect from them. But if I make them an apotiki, if I specifically designate, this is where you're going to collect from if I don't have, have, have cash. So then even if it's sold, you have the right to collect. So the Torah here, according to Rabbi Shmuel, by saying that you can collect me gufo, even according to Rabbi Shmuel, that the pshat, it's not shot that the, the nizik owns, it's not shot that the nizik owns the, the ox automatically, but it's a strong lien, it's a specified lien, and therefore, if the mazik attempts to sell it, the nizik will be able to collect away from the buyer. So, but even by apotiki, if a person makes a slave in apotiki and sells it, the creditor could collect from the slave. But the creditor cannot collect if he sells an ox. What's the shot? Because we have to protect the buyer. So if you buy a slave, usually you'll find out if there was an apotiki on it. But in the case of an animal, it's very hard to distinguish one animal from the other. You don't know what's going on. So it's very possible that this buyer that bought it wasn't aware that there was a lien, that there was a strong apotiki on it. So what we're saying is, therefore, it's not fair to the buyer that he should have to pay. He should have to give it up because... He didn't have a way to protect himself. So even if we're saying that this ox is like apotiki, Rava said, where a person makes a shara in apotiki, the creditor still cannot collect away from it. So the Gemara explains, but it's different because Evan, my time, what's the whole difference between the slave and the ox? By a slave, it's public knowledge when he's in apotiki. Whereas by the, the ox, it's hard. But by an ox that gores, even the nagach, once it went, it gored, kalal esle. Kala Isla, it has public knowledge. People know why. The two are not Kala Everybody call it the ox that gores. In other words, the reason it's hard to find out about a Portuguese on ox is because it's very hard to distinguish between one ox and another. But the ox that gored around town, everybody knows about that ox. Everybody talks about it. Everybody refers to it. Everybody knows it. So therefore, presumably, the buyer could protect himself. And therefore, since the Torah made it like an apotiki, well, then according to Rabbi Yishmael, despite the fact that the, the Nizik doesn't own that ox, he has the right to take it away from the buyer. So we're saying that even according to Rabbi Yishmael, it's no ordinary lien. According to Rabbi Giva, it's mamish, the property of the Nizik right away. Even according to Rabbi Yishmael, that it's not, but it's a super strong lien that he has on that ox. Says the He says a price. Makro, if he sold, we'll have to see who he is. If he sold the ox, ain't makro, it is not sold. Hektisho, if he consecrated, Muktash, it is consecrated. So now we're going to have to do our detective work. Who's it going like? Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Kiva, what's going on? Machorman. So first of all, who sold the ox here? If he sold it, it is sold. Ilama Mazek, if you say it means the damager sold it, so Machro, Machro, Ein Machor. So whose opinion are you saying if you're saying it's not sold? Mani Rabbi Kiva, must be going like Rabbi Akiva, that automatically the, the ownership is transferred over to the Nizik. That's why it's not sold. If the Mazik sells, sells it after the damage, then he is selling something that's not his, and therefore it's not sold. But what's the next line? You say, if he consecrates it, it's Hukdash. So that's not like Rabbi Akiva. If Rabbi Akiva doesn't belong to him, not Rabbi Shmuel. So what that line is only going to Rabbi Shmuel. The first, the ox has to be assessed in court. But until then, it's the property of the Mazik. So then, 
the Brizer's rulings are contradictory. Meaning, if the Mazik to sell or the Mazik to be Makdish, both of them depend. If you go like Rabbi Shmuel Rikiva, so what's the Malkum for the Brizer to split and say if he sold it, it is not sold, but if he consecrated, it is consecrated? Do you hold like Rabbi Yikiva or do you hold like Rabbi Shmuel? Ella Nizik, you have to say the Brizer means the damaged party sold it, but you could have the same question. What do you mean it's sold? It's not sold. Machor and Machor, if the Nizik sold it, must be going like Rabbi Shmuel. It doesn't become his right away. So if he's selling, selling, he's selling, selling, that's not his. But if Dishu Mokdosh, Ashlan Rabbi Kiva, but then you say if you consecrate, it's consecrated, that's going like Rabbi Akiva. So however you go, it's not going like anyone. In other words, we, we should say that according to Rabbi Akiva, the Nizik should have a right both to sell and to be Makdish, but the Mazik shouldn't have an ability to sell or be Makdish. And according to Rabbi Yishmael, it should be just the opposite. The Mazik should have an, the Mazik should have an ability to either sell and be Makdish, and the Nizik should not. But who is the, the, the author here in the Brisa that's saying if you sell it, it is not sold, but if you're Makdish, it, it is. So the Gemara explains, well, the Mazik, the Rekol. It could be that there was the Mazik that sold it, and actually, the Brisa is going like everybody, but they're limited. What does it mean? What's going on? Machor, you know, Machor, if you sell it, it is not sold. For sure, according to Rabbi Akiva, that's good, right? Because it doesn't belong to the Mazik. But I feel Rabbi Yishmael, the Brisa was right when it said it's not sold. Why? In a limited sense, it's not sold. Meaning to say, that the ox is under lien to the damaged property. So although the sale went through, the Nizik can collect it away from the buyer. That's what we mean when we say it was not sold. Typically, a creditor cannot necessarily take a metathalin from the buyer. But here, since as we spoke out, it's like a strong lien. So therefore, it is not sold in the sense that the Nizik can always collect it away from the buyer. So that line, it's, it's, it's a true statement according to everybody. According to Rabbi Kiva, in, in, in an absolute sense, it is not sold. It's Pasha, not the Mazik property. And according to Rabbi Shmuel, it's not sold in the sense that the Nizik can take it away from the buyer. Hikdisho Muktish, and this that we said, if he consecrated it, it's Huktish. So like Rabbi Shmuel, that's Gavaldik. It belongs to the Mazik, so it's Huktish. But I feel Rabbi Akiva is true, even according to Rabbi Akiva. Why? L'chayra, he was Maktish, something that's not his. It's nothing to be chavved. There are times where we say that if a person is Maktish, something that he can't, with, let's say, with a strong lien on it or something, the halacha is you redeem it for a minimal payment and then you give it to your creditor. Why? Because you don't want people to say Haklish can go out without redemption. In other words, if you are Maktish, something that's technically not yours, but people might get confused about it, then the Rabbanan instituted, you have to redeem it for it. So, so that's exactly what we would have here as well. Really, the ox, as soon as it cores, doesn't belong to the mazak anymore. It's automatically transferred over to the nizak, according to Rabbi Akiva. But if he's Maktashid and we say it's nothing, people get confused. They say, oh, it must be. You can just take something away from Maktash without being poted. So we made a xerim that even according to Rabbi Akiva, in a limited sense, hoktash moktash, that you have to give a minimal payment to Maktash before taking it away. But really, it didn't go through. So we've explained the price in a way it actually fits like everybody uh, by explaining the price uh, in limited sense here. An ox which was Tom that damaged. Before the owner stood by for judgment, meaning before it was taken to court, if he sold it, it is sold. If he was it is consecrated. If he slaughtered it, he gave it away as a gift. Everything that he's done is done. The Gemara is going to, uh, going to explain, but it seems pretty clear that we're following Rabbi Yishmael because according to Rabbi Akiva, that damager cannot, cannot sell the ox at all before he stands for a judgment. So we're going to assume that the price here is going like Rabbi Yishmael, and that's why we're saying that everything can work, whatever, whatever the mazik is. Selling, helktash, giving it away, whatever is done is done. Mishamad Badin, after the court, Already, already assessed it, and, he, and this guy stood in front of the court in judgment. At that point, it cannot be sold. It cannot be sold at all, even for plowing. This is a big chedesh here. Let's, let's try to understand this. We're, we're going like Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yishmael holds that the, the ox itself is not automatically transferred to the Nisip. Rabbi Yishmael concedes that once Basin finds the mazik guilty, 
At that point, the Nizik is allowed to confiscate the, the ox. Automatically, it's considered his. Very important point. This is another time in the Sugya. We're seeing a couple times. And even like Rabbi Shmuel, that it's only, it's only just a security for him to collect. It's like a lien, but it's no ordinary lien. We saw it before. It's like an apotiki you take away from the buyer. But now we're seeing another point. Once the damage is assessed in the court and the court finds the mazik liable, at that point, it sounds like even Rabbi Shmuel agrees that the ox itself becomes the property of the Nizik. So therefore, um, at that point, if he sold it, it wouldn't be sold at all. Hektesh, when a mukta should be consecrated, it wouldn't be consecrated. He wouldn't even have to give any, like Hektesh, uh, any, any payment for its redemption, anything. Okay. It's nothing. If creditors of the mazik go before the nizik and they collected for payment for their own debts, meaning there were other balichovas that he owed. So, so if they went and they took it instead of the nizik taking it, and it doesn't make a difference if the debt was before the damage or if the damage was before the debt. Either way, they haven't done anything. Meaning, the ox has to go to the nizik, not to them. Because the damage is paid only from the ox's body. That the Gemara will explain, because we're saying a very hard halacha. Even if someone owed money before the damage happened, the nizik has the right to take the ox ahead of that guy. That's not fair. I was, I, you owed me money before he owed you money. So we'll have to understand that. The Gemara will get to that in a minute. Mark continues, what happens by a muad animal that damages? So by a muad animal that damages, there's no real strong lien on the animal itself. You don't pay me gufa. By a muad animal, you just owe money. So did whether they were stood before the court before judgment or not, in all cases, if the mazik sells it, it is sold, you give it away as a gift or slaughter it. And if other creditors collect, whether the debt that were preceded or followed the damage. What they have done is done. They don't have to give the ox back to the nizik. The fishim and aliyah, because a muad one only pays from the best of the property, meaning there's no special lien on the live ox. So now the Gemara goes through the analysis of the pricing here. Amar Mar, what did we just say? Machar Machar, after a time, Gord, before the owner stood for judgment, if the mazik sold it, it sold. Laridia means it sold even for plowing, meaning we're going like Rabbi Yishmael. Meaning the, 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 the Nizik can collect it away afterwards as we spoke out, but the sale is valid and the buyer had it for whatever plowing rights he had in the interim. We consecrated as consecrated, as we spoke out from Rebbe Vo. It's not necessarily fully consecrated, but there has to be a little bit, a little bit of redemption. Okay, continues the Gemara. If he slaughtered, he gave it away as a gift. What he has done is done. So, we understand. If he gave it away as a gift, it's good. What's done, Laridia, means for plowing. Meaning, just like when you sold it, it was valid. So, when you give it away as a gift, it's valid. Yes, it's true that the Nizik can take it away eventually because he has the super strong lien. But in the interim, the right is there for the recipient to plow. If he slaughtered it, what does it mean that Shechita, Masha, the Shechita shouldn't do anything? Let the damaged party come and take from the meat. Meaning, what does it mean if he slaughter what is done is done? It, there's no there's no ramification of the slaughtering. Let the let the nizik come and take from the meat. The Tanya Chai, the Torah says you sell a live ox. I would only know if the ox is still alive. How do I know if the mazik shechted it? We say still say that the nizik takes the meat. Under any circumstances. So what did the Brisa mean that if he slaughtered it, what he has done is done? We're talking about the depreciation which was caused by the slaughtering, meaning that the nizik is potter from compensating the damaged party for that depreciation. It's a fascinating thing because there's a lien on the ox and he lost part of his ability to collect. You shafted it, so you messed up how much I could collect from. Because remember, you collect only from me gufo. And by me slaughtering it, you lessened the value here of what you're going to be able to collect. So if you think about what this mazik did, he caused the nizik to be able to collect less. So he didn't damage something that belonged to the nizik, but by slaughtering his own ox, that, da- that damage, the mazik 
decrease the ability of collection that the, that the Nizik would have had. So we're still saying, though, that he doesn't own for that. Of course, he's the wrong thing to do that. You shouldn't be slaughtering it and messing him up. But at the end of the day, you don't have to compensate him for, the, for that depreciation that happened through the Shechita. You know what you see from here? If you damage your friend's lien, you're not liable. Meaning, you, let's say you have a lien on a field. And I go ahead and I damage the field. I don't owe you money. Even though I made your, your, your value of collection less, but I didn't damage something that belonged to you. So therefore, it's indirect sort of damage. It's like a grumma, and I'm not liable. That's obvious that that's what we're saying. You might have said, in the case of slaughtering an ox, I could say, I didn't do anything to you by slaughtering it. I took away wind from you. Meaning the ox is still here. I just took away its life. I just took away its breath. I took away its wind. So I didn't really do so much to you. If I destroy... My friends lean like a real destruction. Maybe I should be liable, even though it's only gramadik. No, even if I destroyed it completely, I'm potter because lamaisa it's only a grama. Says the Gemara, Nami Rabba Amar. But that's also been said already. The Amar Rabba. What did Rabba say? Let's say I burn your friend, my friend's documents. So I destroy his his ability to enforce the lien, and I destroy it. He won't be able to collect it all. What do we say? You're still potter. So once Rabba said that, obviously the idea is because I'm a grama. So what was the chiddush of Ravuna? Says the Gemara, the Tema. You might say I just burned a piece of paper. It was just evidence of the lien. I didn't touch the property itself. Let's say I go to your field that you have a lien on and I completely dig pits and trenches and destroy it. A visible damage on the lien. I would say, Lamaisa, I should pay Kamashmalan. And no, I don't do that. In our case, slaughtering the ox. You're making visible damage to the, to the ox. And still, we're saying, So we need all the statements, Lamaisa, to be here. But the point is, even if I do visible damage to your lien, it's only a grandma, and I don't have to pay. That's the novelty that we're bringing out. What was the last point? If the creditors of the of the of, of the mazik precede the nizik and they take away from the ox, even if their debt was there first, the halacha is that the nizik is the one to get the ox, not them. Meaning the nizik can go to the creditor and say, I'm sorry, I'm taking that ox. You don't have the right to take it for your debt. What's the pshat? If the ox damaged before the debt came along, very good. The lien for the net, for the damage would precede the creditor. Therefore, it makes sense the nizik has first dibs on collection from the ox. Where the debt happened before the damage, it's not fair. The lien that the Creditor had that came before that came before the the nizik's uh, credit. So therefore, why does the creditor who took the ox in time, seemingly very justifiably he had the first right? So why does he have to forfeit the ox and give it to the nizik? So the Gemara explains here again one more lambdas that brings out how strong the lien is, even according to Rabbi Shmuel. And now the Gemara even points out more top of the Even if the ox damaged first, the creditor did go first and proceed. And, and take it first. So why would he forfeit it? What happens if there are two creditors and the, the latter creditor, the one who lent money second, went and collected first? Do I say he has to give it up? No, usually you say, even though your debt came second, so once you made a collection, you made a collection. So Bikitzer, we don't understand ever the Gemara is coming out. We don't ever understand why the creditor would have to give the ox up for the nizik, whether the, whether it's first or second. We don't understand. Once the collection is made, let him keep it. Certainly if he came first, but even if he came second, we should let the creditor take it. So the Gemara says, Normally you're right. A latter creditor who comes along and collects, once he collects his collect, he doesn't have to forfeit it to an early creditor. Shani yacha. In the case of the ox, is different. The nizik says, If the ox had been in your possession before court, I would have collected by you. Meaning, I have a right to the ox. 
The high tour, the ask me, no, Mishalim, the ox that damages me, the one I take it from. Meaning to say, had it been by you and it go to a court, I would have collected from you. So, what's the point that the Gemara is saying? The point that the Gemara is saying is since you only collect Migufo, since you only collect Migufo, the point is the lien on the ox is the strongest lien because you're entitled to the ox itself. A regular creditor is entitled to any property, whatever liquid he might have. Me, as a, as a nizak, my right is direct on the ox and the ox itself. Therefore, my lien is stronger than your lien. So even if you collect it first, and you have a right to, because maybe you lend money first, it doesn't make a difference. My lien is stronger than yours, and therefore I have a right to take it away from you. So three times in the daf, let's just make a summary. We have Machlux, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi According to Rabbi Kiva, as soon as the damage is done, the ox belongs to the nizak. According to Rabbi Shmuel, no, it's only debt. It's only a debt. But there are three places we see in the Gemara is no ordinary debt. Number one, after Bates and Ashley assesses it, at that point, it does become like the, like, like the, in the under the ownership of the nizak, even according to Rabbi Shmuel. Number two, if the if the nizika, if the mazik sells it to somebody else, the nizik has a right to go and collect it. We don't normally say that such a strong lien on uh, movables. We don't normally say such a thing. And now we're saying number three is that even if there was an earlier creditor who took it, we say that the nizik can take it away from him because his lien is just so much stronger since the ox, the collection on the ox is only mikufa.